So I always like to talk about content and context whenever we get into a book of the Bible. Um, and we're going to hop around a few different places this month through this series. So in terms of content, the book of Matthew, I like to call it the kosher gospel. Uh, and that is, it is written by a Jew uh, for Jews, hoping to teach them that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And so Matthew uses and interprets the Old Testament uh, all over the book in order to convince Jews that the Messiah they read about in the Old Testament has come as they would read his words. That's the first thing. The other thing about it is it's also not only is it written to Jews, but it's also Gentile inclusive. From the outline of, of Jesus' genealogy, Matthew is specifically including and wants his readers to know that the mission of God is not just to Jews, but ultimately to see salvation of all peoples. Our context this morning is Matthew 2. This is after Jesus is born. So all the, the, the narrative and, and the stable story has happened. Jesus, or excuse me, Joseph, Jesus, and Mary have settled in a house at this point in time. And we uh, pick up in Matthew 2 with these wise men seeking out Jesus. I've got in my hand a water bottle. Just an ordinary water bottle to you and I, but every year around this time, this becomes an instrument of terror in my house. How many of you have family coming to visit in and around Christmas time, right? Whether you're going to go or you're gonna, uh, they're going to travel to your house or you're going to go travel for them. Well, I've got an aunt. Her name's Julie. I've known her whole, my whole life. These are the jokes. You've got to keep up, okay? Well, my aunt has this premise. I was her first nephew. And so she had this premise that she wanted to teach me what it meant to be athletic. And her premise is that anyone who considers themselves an athlete should be able to catch anything thrown near them or at them at any given time. <laughs> so whenever my Aunt Julie comes to visit, I am on high alert for things just to be thrown in my direction, whether they be remote controls, water bottles, small children, it doesn't matter. I've got to be ready to react to what's going on around me at all given times. This, by the way, is not up for testing today, okay? I don't you guys, anybody try it. Uh, I, I bring that up because that's what I, we're going to do today. It, is I'm going to ask you to react to what's going on around you. I'm going to ask you to consider Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, the news of Jesus' birth, and I, I want you to consider the reaction of those in the story that hear the news that the king of the Jews has been born and then I want you to begin to ask yourself, what is my reaction to this news? And I don't think it's quite unfair for me to ask that, to, for you to give an immediate reaction this morning, because we live in that culture and context today, don't we? We live in a culture and context, especially with the advent of social media, where we are instantly able to react to anything going on around us. I mean, that big timeline thing that you open inside your social media app, that, what's that called? It's called your news feed, and you are instantly able to like and comment around the things that are going on around the world, whether it's big, traumatic, and, and dramatic news stories, or just what your best friend had for dessert that she thought she should share with you, you are able to like and comment and react to the news that's going on in real time. Well, that's all I'm going to ask you today as we open up the Word together, is I'm going to ask you to react to the news that Jesus has been born. Uh, I'm going to ask you to react to this idea, this concept, this reality that 2,000 years ago, the eternal God entered the womb of a virgin where his human body grew for nine months, where his mother gave birth to the Son of God who took on flesh and blood of humanity. This news demands a response and a reaction from us to examine your heart and soul to this news of Jesus. Would you do that while I preach and open the word for us? 
our responses will be the focus of our time today. Your main idea is this. What's your reaction to the news of Jesus' birth? What's your reaction to the news of Jesus' birth? And so as we make our way through this passage, we're going to be examining the different responses. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. How many wise men were there? We don't know. Most of us want to say three because a couple of things. One, uh, the, the influence of Christmas carols uh, and also tradition. We also have uh, pictured here in Matthew 2, three gifts that the wise men are going to bring. Uh, but we must always drive back into the scripture for the reality of our theology, not just culture and context. So we don't know how many wise men there are. Most likely these are also not kings, uh, like the Christmas carol goes. Uh, these are most likely advisors to kings because they study the stars, and so they would be uh, advisors who would study astronomy and then bring information and prophecy and promises back to the kings that they most likely served. We know that they've got an air of royalty around them because of the gifts that they're going to bring, which we'll talk about more in a minute. But just as we're paying attention, we, we don't know how many wise men. It could have been a whole caravan looking for Jesus, especially to stir up the city like it does. Verse 1 again. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. These wise men have brought gifts to bring to worship Jesus. These were intelligent, wealthy, wise men, and the stars had significance for them. And so God announces the birth of Jesus with a heavenly astrological event. Something happens in the sky. The star appears. We read about it in the shepherds and on the night of Jesus' birth. Well, that star, these men have taken notice. These star surveyors have seen God's star in the sky and have taken notice and have ascertained that the king of the Jews was to be born at the presence and announcement of the star. Here's what I want you to take note. God used the stars to bring those who study the stars to himself. God descended to the level of the magi or the wise men to reach them much the same way Christ descended into human form to reach us. Our God is a missionary God. He speaks in the language of the people that he is trying to reach. That's what missionaries do. They, they study and learn the context of the people that they are trying to reach. They learn the language and the culture and the traditions of the people around them. And just as God did that for the Magi, just as Christ did that so that he might come and rescue us, so we are, as Christians living today, called to be missionaries who learn the culture, language, tribes, and traditions of the people around us in order that we might reach them with the good news of Jesus. Did you know that you're a missionary? And if you weren't sure, now you are. <laughs> God has called you to be someone who studies and understands the people around you that you might bring the good news of Jesus to them. We must not just celebrate Christmas in our living rooms and our sanctuaries, but we must take the hope and the message of the King of the Jews' birth out of this room. God has called you to be a missionary. He's called you to a place and a people. Wherever that may be, you're called to learn their language and love them and serve them and share Jesus with them. For some of you, this might be the context of your own living room. Like there's people in your house who, do, who don't know Jesus. And God's called you as a missionary to your own house and to start in your living room 
For others of you, it's your workplace. For others of you, it's your recreation. Wherever it is, God has called you as a missionary to reach people with the message of the birth of Jesus in the same way he reached the wise men with the message of the birth of Jesus. These men remind us that our God seeks sinners. These men are not Jews. They're foreigners. They're Gentiles. And yet God announces the birth of Jesus, the hope of salvation to them. The Christian faith is not a faith for good people. It's a faith for sinners who know they need rescuing. These men were called by God and they followed over a great distance and over a great length of time. When God calls us, nothing will stand in the way. These wise men recognize that Jesus would be born king of the Jews. Jesus has given a few titles here in Matthew 2. I want to go over them with you. So I like to make lists. I think they're fun. Uh, this will be your Christmas uh, service list. Feel free to check it twice. Thank you. I appreciate that. Here we go. Here's who Jesus is called, or here's some identities of Jesus that we see pictured in Matthew chapter 2 that are important that the wise men are recognizing. Number one, that Jesus, even though born an infant, is born as king. From birth canal to throne room is Jesus. The prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament will say this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. This is, the, this is Jesus, the true king, who would deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness among the people. Jesus is born as ruler. Psalm 2 gives us this promise about Jesus' kingship. Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Jesus is king, Jesus is ruler, and Jesus is shepherd. He is the shepherd king who brings his people to himself. So the wise men arrive in Jerusalem. They bring this news that the star in the sky means the king of the Jews has been born. And so where do they go first? They go to the capital city of Israel, to Jerusalem. They go to the capital city to, to start talking about this, to learn where this king might be. And where, where would they look first? They would naturally look in the palace because that's where the king would live. And so they arrive there, and in verse 3, they meet Herod, who is the Roman-appointed ruler or king of the Jews at this point in history. Let's pick up at verse 3. When the king heard this, that the new king had been born, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. The irony of verse 3 is thick. We've got the current king ruling and reigning over the Jews. We've got these non-Jewish men who travel great distance and great time to come and deliver the news to the people who are supposed to be waiting expectantly for the birth of the Savior. Hey, by the way, the birth of the Savior has happened. The extraordinary news and announcement of the birth of the Savior is something that the Jews were supposed to live with expectantly every single day of their life. And yet it is these foreign wise men who come and inform the king and the people. The king is troubled. The people are troubled as they hear this news that another king has been born. And so Herod gathers all the chief priests and all the scribes. These are the people who know their Bibles. 
These are the people who study and know the Old Testament for a living. These are the, the preachers and teachers and theologians of Herod's time. He says, hey guys, listen, I got these foreigners. They've come and they've told me that the, that the, the Messiah's been born. This feels bad. What, what, what can you tell me? What, 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 how can you save me from, from losing face? Verse 5, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. This is a promise about the birth of the Savior hundreds of years before Jesus is actually born. And so they deliver this prophetic promise to Herod. Herod's going to deliver it back to the wise men that the king would not be born in Jerusalem, the capital city, but be born in Bethlehem. Verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. We know from the rest of the story, and if you know your Bible or the Christmas story, that Herod has no intention of worshiping the Savior. That Herod has been ruling and reigning for close to probably 30 years at this point in time, and he is bent toward retaining his own position and power. Favor with the Romans, favor with the people, life is good for King Herod. And so hearing the announcement that the new king, the Messiah of the Jews, the one who's going to shake things up and restore authority to Israel, is not good news for him and his political prestige and power. And so he secretly calls the wise men back, tells them the story, and then says, hey, as soon as you find this out, let me know so I can come and worship the Savior as well. What we know is that Herod is actually, he, he's ascertained the timing, so he knows when the star appeared, so he knows when the child was born, and now he's, he knows the location. All he know, needs to know is the physical house. So he sends the wise men back to be a secret agents to find this information out, because we know from later on in the story, Herod is planning to massacre all male children born two years of age and under in this region. Herod's reaction to the news of the birth of the Savior is anger, frustration, and hate. His heart is actually hardened by the news that the Savior's been born. The people of Jerusalem, their reaction? Anxiety. They're troubled by this news. Because the birth of the Savior means their everyday lifestyle is going to be disrupted and dismayed. And so the news that the new king has been born causes them troubling. It's troublesome in their soul. What about those priests and the scribes? These are the guys who've been waiting, right? These are the guys who've been preaching about the hope of the coming Savior to restore the preeminence of Israel across the world, to show that what it meant to be a people governed by God. Surely the scribes and the priests, the pastors of their day, they'd get excited and journey with their wise men too, right? Nope, we don't get a peep about them. I'll call it apathy. They've become so used to hearing the story, so used to hearing the promises, that when these wise foreigners come to tell them that the promises come true, eh, that's nice. Church, for those of us sitting in this room in the month of December, we face a real reality. It's the danger of our religion replacing our relationship. Because that's what happened to the chief priests and the scribes. Herod just grew angry. At least, he, at least he was honest. He was selfish and wanted to keep his own power and prestige, and, and, and Jesus threatened that, and so he wanted to eliminate that threat. The people were troubled. They didn't know what was going to happen. 
They just knew Jesus was, was going to disrupt the status quo. But the priests and the scribes, apathetic, their religion had replaced their relationship. It is entirely possible for us to hear the news of Jesus' birth year after year, in sermon after sermon, decorating our living room year after year, putting our lights on our house year after year, reading the story over and over, and simply just grow apathetic and miss the good news of Jesus' birth. Like the scribes and the Pharisees, all too often it can be those who know the faith the most in their minds, know at least in their hearts. They know the Bible, they know the people, they know the places, they know the traditions, and yet there's no repentance, no humility, no mercy. May we notice their reactions and commit to avoid them. Verse 9, back to the wise men. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen where it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Again, I want you to see the missionary nature of God here. He is faithful to carry them all the way through with the star. It not only announces the birth of Christ, but it serves as a missionary guide all the way to the location of where Christ is born. God was faithful to bring them all the way home. God will be faithful to bring you all the way home too. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Again, these are Gentile people who have not grown up with the promises of the Savior, but as they see God communicate to them, they begin to worship and rejoice with great joy. They rejoice exceedingly 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 with great joy. Very good. They worship God and rejoice in their soul at the news and at finding that who was promised. Verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Church, this is the only true, authentic, right, correct response to the news of Jesus is to fall down, submit yourself, and worship him. Consider, once again, these men come from royal backgrounds. They're probably used to being in the royal court, probably used to conversing with kings. They, they live the highest of the highest lifestyle. They come into this house in this little podunk town of Bethlehem, the smallest of all the tribes, and they kneel down and worship Jesus. God can save anyone from anywhere, from anything at any time. And from the highest positions in life to the lowest, God's grace and mercy extend. It has been extended to these wise men, and they fall down and worship Jesus. Verse 11 continues, Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. The response of these wise men is adoration and worship that is revealed in the gifts that they give to him. And the gifts have an interesting symbolism that I want to talk about, and this is where we'll spend the rest of our time is the way the wise men choose to worship and the gifts that they bring to them. Each gift holds more than just a blessing to them. The first gift we read is listed to, well, let me back up a second. What are the, when we give a gift to someone, doesn't it say something about our knowledge of, of that person? Yes, that was a real question. Yes or no? Like, 
Like the, the gifts that we give to others, particularly this season, reveals our knowledge about them, doesn't it? And, and isn't it, if you're like, if you are, if you enjoy giving gifts, don't you try to, to seek out new pieces of, of information or, or find a characteristic that maybe your spouse, friend, child, coworker may not know that you know about them, and then you buy a gift for them, and then one of your favorite moments is when they open it up and they reveal that you actually know them and listen to them? My wife loves opals. It's like her favorite gemstone of all, which makes it easy on me that it's not diamonds. Um, <laughs> but I, for, man, the whole time, and we, we did it, I was always on the lookout for opals. And so my wife's got opal everything. She's got earrings and rings and, and bracelets and, and, and jewelry. And if I could find buttons, I'd buy buttons. Like, I just always looked, and I couldn't wait for her to open up that that, that gift that contained that opal so that she knew that I, know, I knew who she was, I knew what she enjoyed. The wise men gifts are going to be the same. They're going to reveal and foreshadow some things about Jesus that we can know today through the context of time. The first thing the wise men give to Jesus is what? Gold. Gold is the medal of kings. So what are the wise men acknowledging in Jesus? That he is the king. It's easy to see why gold is an appropriate gift for Jesus. They know that he is the king. Gold is the medal of kings. When gold was presented by, to Jesus by these men, it was an acknowledgement of his right to rule. He is the king. We know from the book of Revelation that, that, that gold will pave the kingdom of heaven. Second gift is what? Frankincense. This would be an incense. When burned, it would give a sweet aroma. This object was used commonly in the Old Testament for temple worship. When the priests would come and they would offer sacrifices to God, they would burn the incense. But an interesting point about the incense that was used in the Old Testament, it was never used for sin offerings. It was only used for offerings that were pure. This foreshadows the priestly nature of Jesus. Because while at Christmas time we celebrate the birth of the Savior, knowing that what had God is doing in order to accomplish our salvation, Christmas must always foreshadow Easter. And that's what frankincense does, is it points us to the high priestly nature of Jesus, because Jesus will be the one who stands in our place for our sins. And frankincense, a fragrant offering offered to God in the temple, given to Jesus at his birth, foreshadows what Jesus will do on Easter Friday. The final gift is myrrh, and perhaps the most interesting of all of them. It, it, it ties to all three, but myrrh was used as an embalming fluid. It was offered to Jesus as a narcotic when he was on the cross to lessen the pain. And what an interesting item to be present at the birth of a child And so it too reminds us that even at the, the beautiful blessing and promise uh, of the birth of Jesus, Jesus' purpose was to be born in order to die. This is the last and most significant of the gifts. If the gold spoke of his kingship and the incense spoke of his perfect, perfect life and priestly nature, the myrrh speaks of his death. Donald Barnhouse talks about the gifts this way. He says, We see from the symbolism of these gifts that the eternal royalty and holiness of Christ was announced from his earliest years. He had come forth from heaven to perform the work of redemption 
And he was prepared in every way to do the Father's will so that he might fulfill every demand and obligation of the law. Thus only would he become eligible to die on the cross and by the cross alone redeem the world. That life could show that he was fit candidate for the cross and we cling with surety to the work that was accomplished here at Calvary since we know that our sin bearer was himself without sin. So we end where I started. What is your reaction to this news? That Jesus, born king and priest and offering and sacrifice for the sake of your salvation. Herod was full of jealous anger toward God. The people troubled, not sure they wanted God to disrupt their life and the status quo. The religious apathetic. For you, is this just another Christmas season that you've got to get through to get on the other side of the new year? Or will you, like the wise men this year, worship God exceedingly with great joy? So I ask you some questions. How have you prepared to worship Jesus this Christmas season? What have you prepared to bring to Jesus as the wise men brought their own gifts? What gifts do you bring to Jesus committing to him? Or will you simply be troubled by the news of Jesus again this year? See, in order to become a Christian today and react to the news appropriately that Jesus the Savior was born, there are two things you must believe and one thing you must do. First, you must believe God's word when it says that you need a Savior, that you cannot help yourself spiritually, that you are a sinner and are among the imperfect misfits that Jesus came to rescue. The second thing you must believe is that Jesus is able to do what you cannot do, that he is who the scriptures say he is, that though you cannot save yourself, he can save you, that he is who he said he was, that he came to open our eyes, that he came to turn darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God, that we may receive the forgiveness of our sins and be in a place among those who are sanctified by faith. Those two things you must believe, and this one thing you must do, you must commit yourself to him. The Bible speaks of this in different ways, but in each case it's clear that it involves an act of our will. It says that we're to believe in Jesus, which means that we place ourselves in his hands. Paul said the Gentiles needed to prove their repentance by their deeds. How do you know if you're a Christian or not? We know we are Christians when our lives are changed. We begin to live lives that worship Jesus. I invite you this Christmas to allow the news of the birth of the Savior to move you to worship exceedingly with great joy. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the gift of the wise men, God. Thank you for what they teach us about your missionary nature. Thank you that they teach us that you will reach us wherever we are by whatever means necessary. And so, God, I pray for those in this room that you might be seeking to reach today. And humbly, I ask that you might use the sermon that I have preached to reach them, to use the hospitality and generosity of this church to reach them, to use the warmth of the fellowship of those around them to reach them. God, to use the testimony of this church in the city of Cerritos to reach others. We pray, God, that this would not be another December that we simply go through the motions of the Christmas story, but that we afresh and anew would be amazed by the story of Jesus, just as those wise men were. 
seeking Jesus is just as important as hoping in him. Give us the strength to do so, God, whether this is our first Christmas or millionth. We love you, Father. We thank you for this time and ask that you would help us to respond in worship through Christ. Amen.